Welcome to the WATG Podcast Show with your host, Corey Jenner-John. Welcome to another edition of the WATG podcast. I'm your host once again, Corey Jennerjohn, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Deb Douglas. She's not only an advocate for gifted and talented, but she's also a former WATG board member, so that makes her extra special. So, first of all, Deb, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me to join you, Corey. <laughs> no problem. Um, Not only was I a board member, I'm a past president, so I get past to- president. That makes you extra, extra <laughs> special. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, first of all, Deb, um, uh, just uh, take a few moments to uh, tell us about yourself and uh, tell us uh, all the impacts that you've made with uh, with Gifted and Talented. Um, thanks, Corey. Um, I think my interest in, in gifted and talented education and learning um, began when I was a, a high school teacher. That's where I started out as a high school English teacher in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. And, um, and I realized that um, some of my students got everything really fast and some came in knowing more than I was going to teach them. And some kids really struggled and some kids were right at grade level. And I kept trying to figure out how to, how to help all of my students learn something new and grow and and be challenged in some way or another. But then I was a stay-at-home mom, and when my own kids got back into education, um, started school, um, I was um, asked to come back and work in the um, pull-out program we had at that time, a junior grade books discussion program for elementary kids. And that kind of tweaked my interest in um, what what were we doing that was right and what could we be doing differently for gifted kids? And so I went back to school and got my um, master's in curriculum instruction and with a focus on gifted education. And shortly after that, um, I became coordinator of gifted and talented education in Manitowoc, where I where I finished my professional career in public schools. Um, I also started the International Baccalaureate Diploma Program there. Um, but during that time, that 20 plus years that I was um, doing gifted education and in, in Manitowoc. Um, I, I kept trying to figure out what's what's the missing piece here. How can I help all of these gifted kids in some way or another? And so that's that's kind of my journey in gifted education. Um, and now, at, once I um, I retired and started my own little business called um, GT Carpe Diem, seize the day. And I, <laughs> I do really like that. Yeah, I do workshops for um, kids and self-advocacy, gifted kids, and I also do, um, you know, work with parents and work with school districts around around the country. Actually, I've been very fortunate in that because I'm willing to spread my passion for self-advocacy anywhere, I've been able to present at the, the European Council for High Achievement and the World Council for Gifted and Talented Children a couple different times. And, wow. and so um, I, I'm enjoying this part of my career almost as much as I did um, my years in the public school. The only thing is, I don't get to work as closely with kids as I used to. Okay. Huh. How? I got a question for you, Deb. How? Are you surprised, amazed? Are you, you know, how far, you know, we've been able to come in terms of gifted and talented programs? I mean, do you think there's still a long ways to go? You know, I do, Corey. I think it's kind of cyclical. 
Um, we, thanks to many of the uh, Waitake board members and other committed people, we at the moment have a bit more funding for gifted education, a bit more awareness of it. Um, but but I've seen us go through these cycles before, and in the state of Wisconsin, because we we have statutes, but we don't have funding, and we don't have verification that anybody's doing anything, it's up and down. And those districts that have funding um, within their district and have support or have parent groups that are, are strong advocates, they tend to have better and different programming than some of the um, districts, smaller districts, for instance, or districts that um, do not have a lot of money whatsoever. And often gifted programming is the first thing that's, that is lost there. For instance, when I left Manitowoc, we had we had just a really strong, wonderful program with lots of people involved and everything written into the um, um, board um, rules and regulations, and that that's almost all gone now because the funding, local funding, was cut and gifted funding's gone. So I feel good in some ways, optimistic in many ways, but also I realize that there are challenges. There will always be challenges in gifted education because not everybody understands that gifted kids have needs <laughs> different than the rest of the population and that and that they have a right to the education that's that's challenging for them too. That's a really good point. So getting into parental advocacy, how how hard is it for parents now when they keep running into economic roadblocks where you know just like you said districts are keep you know, continue to pull money in various areas, including, uh, you know, GT programs. How much tougher is that for parents now when they are, all they're trying to do is, you know, just trying to find um, more, uh, you know, more challenging academic path for their, for their son or daughter? Um, it's, it's very difficult, but then it varies greatly depending upon the district and where you are. But even in, um, let's say, let's take a huge district like Milwaukee that has schools for the gifted and gifted and talented programming, part of the problem is access and recognition of students' gifts and talents. Um, that's one of the reasons I, I just finished editing a book with um, a wonderful co-editor, Joy Lawson Davis, about underrepresented gifted kids and how if they're not even recognized for gifted programs um, due to all sorts of barriers, um, they're not going to receive the programming. And it's quite probable that their parents don't even know how to access um, help in the district. If, you know, how, who do you go to and what do you get or even what does my child need? I'm just going to throw this in here because as I told you, my, my passion is self-advocacy. And what I've discovered is that um, even the parents who know how to access their district um, are often not as successful as at advocating for what their children need um, as the children themselves are. Because who knows better what's going on in their, in their school day um, as they walk in the halls or sit in classes or when they're doing their homework or taking tests, interacting with teachers and peers, they know um, if, if things are going right or not. And because of the variability of our gifted programming, not just from district to district, but often from grade level to grade level, this teacher gets it, this teacher doesn't quite, this teacher has experience, this doesn't, or even subject matter. Sometimes um, what I'm doing in this 
class this year, social studies maybe, or, or what we're doing in this particular um, chapter or unit is easier or tougher for me. And as parents, it's so hard for us to know those moment by moment, hour by hour, um, maybe week by week, year by year, semester by semester, changes that are going on for our kids. And, and often, they're not even sure how, how to talk about that. How to, well, um, this, is why, this is why I think teaching kids to self-advocate is so important. Letting them know that they have a right to educational challenges and social-emotional support and all the kind of things that we know gifted kids need that's different from the norm, but also that they have a responsibility to be part of that and to to learn how to ask for what they need in a way that's going to lead to success. You know, I often laugh. Um, kids will say, I self-advocated. I said, this is boring. I hate this. We did this last year. <laughs> and it's not, sometimes their naive attempts get them into trouble. And then and then once shot down, the kids are not going to ask for it again. Um, so, so I think we as parents, one of the best gifts we can give our kids, in fact, this, this, fall as we approach school, I'm thinking one of the best tools we can help them put in their backpack is self-advocacy. Um, how do they how do they recognize their own selves as gifted learners and what their strengths and their weaknesses are, but also, you know, their interests and their and their preferences for how they learn? How do they develop that self-awareness and then think in terms of if if I'm, my needs aren't being met. What are the possibilities? What are some things I could do? Or how do, who do I go to? Who are my advocates out there? In addition to my parents, who are the people who can help me figure out how to make school better for me? How to make either, as I said, address social emotional needs or academic needs or greater challenge or sometimes even for gifted kids, how do they access um, help and support on the things that they might struggle with and not and not feel intimidated or that they're going to be looked down on because they're gifted kids and they struggle with something. That's interesting. I've seen so many kids in my in my time as a teacher, I've seen so many kids that are so shy and nervous. How do you get those kids to be self-advocates for themselves? I mean, what what kind of tools or what what kind of strategies do you use to help them to kind of more or less break out of their their own shell, if you will? Um, and that's a very interesting demographic. I'm just I'm going to throw this in. There is some pretty good research, um, especially anecdotal, coming out of um, Linda Silverman out in, in Colorado, that says that while the um, approximately two thirds of the general population is extroverted and only one third is introverted. Wow. About highly gifted kids, it's often the reverse. Two-thirds might be introverted and maybe one-third is extroverted. And that's one of the little assessments that kids do in my workshop is to identify where they are in that, that scale of introversion, extroversion. And um, for, for introverted kids um, who, who may be sitting in the back of the room or may not raise their hands but are sitting there all the time thinking this is slow or... I wish I could be doing something different or, or those kids you may have seen who are reading a book behind everything else rather than say, give me something else. Um, first of all, we and their school counselors can help them understand and recognize their introversion, but also to recognize that um, being introverted is not necessarily 
um, just being shy. Um, so then how do we find that one person who they may be willing to talk to? Or how do we help them find that quiet time, not in front of any other students, when they can um, meet with their teacher and talk to their teacher about their needs? And that's, I think that's one of the major steps for um, self-advocacy for kids, how and when to talk to teachers. Um, there's, a, there's a really great um, 10 tips for talking to teachers that was created by Judy Galbraith and Jim Delisle. And if anybody, just Google 10 tips for talking to teachers, um, you will find it. Um, and one of those things is make time for an appointment to talk to your teacher. Don't try to um, explain what you need in the middle of the class or during work time in class or try to catch the teacher between classes. How do we really help our kids um, go about this in a um, an orderly way, but in a, a way that um, is comfortable for them and allows them to really have the sense of one-on-one -on -one with teachers. Now, not all teachers, of course, we know, I mean, I was a classroom teacher too, are ready for this or able for it. So then who are the other advocates the student can go with? Or initially, who can the parent and the student go with to speak to them about the child's needs and, and how to improve their, their daily um, classwork or experience in school and once again it's important for us as parents as our child's advocates if we're setting up those meetings that the we help the child take the lead in the meeting and that we hear the child's voice longest and most often in those meetings as opposed to teachers and parents talking about the child so can't, don't just bring them there, but make them really an active part of this group, this help group. Okay. And I think we can do that as early as we, as early as possible when our kids are in lower elementary school even. How do we help them from the beginning recognize that they can be in charge? We're there to help them. I, I really like that. That's, that's a really good idea, Deb. And, and, I think, and I think it's better off if you start those conversations early, you know, whether it be, you know, first, second, third grade, like you said, help them to realize that they are, you know, ground zero for getting their education, not only started, but making it go to, to wherever they want it to go, whether they want it to be, um, you know, into a gifted and talented area, you know, very challenging material or wherever that may be, you know, okay. let them more or less kind of blaze their own trail and you know go i think that's i think that's a really interesting i think that's a really interesting philosophy i really like that well we know there are also um gifted kids who are underachieving and yeah. who would rather be doing something else in academics um there's um there's something called the six profiles of the gifted um that was um, created by marine nyhart and george betts and they say that um gifted kids fall into one or some of these different profiles. And one is like the successful student. That's a student who's adapted to the system. They've figured out what they need to do in order to, you know, to get good grades, to do well on tests, to please teachers and parents and, you know, get into um, National Honor Society or whatever. To, they've figured out how to adapt to the system. And what we would like is for all of our kids to grow to become autonomous learners who adapt the system to meet their needs. And so instead of adapting to, they are adapting the system. But on the on that road to being autonomous learners, you know, we've got kids who are underachievers and kids who are um, creatively divergent. And, 
and kids who just want to be underground. They don't want any recognition or experiences for gifted and talented kids. We've got, mm-hmm. we've got at-risk gifted kids. And of course, we have, we've got twice exceptional learners too, who have, have abilities and disabilities. So each, each combination of each child and their combination of profiles needs to be figured out kind of individually. And how, what's the next step for them to take to grow towards being in charge of their own lives? Because, you know, self-advocacy is a, is, a, is a great gift, not just for gifted kids in, you know, K-12 education, but a lifetime skill, you know, for us to all self-advocate and ask for what it is we need and want without, without compromising anyone else's dignity or our own. Um, so how, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in college, in the workplace, self-advocacy is a, a really important skill. How, here's the, here's the, um, the tough, the tough question though, Deb, what happens when, you know, they're being self-advocates for themselves and they get that cold, harsh reality. Um, if they're in a district where, you know, let's say they're in fourth, fifth, sixth grade and they're being really good self-advocates and all of a sudden one year, um, teacher says, sorry, uh, we have to cancel all GT programs. And, mm-hmm. um, do you think that that student is going to be, is, is going to be more of a self-advocate moving forward? Or do you think that student would just clam up and just be like, you know what? I gave it my best effort, but um, there's nothing I can do. I mean, what, where, where does a student like that go? Well, excellent questions. First of all, um, the reality is none of us are ever going to have all of our self-advocacy goals <laughs> and dreams yeah. and wishes met. That's life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's necessary to say, okay, as parents or as a, or as a gifted coordinator, okay, at this instance, right now, this unfortunately is is what you can get now what are the options outside of school what are you willing to um, spend some time doing maybe what what can we um, um, substitute something in school for something outside of school that's going to be more challenging Um, so i think helping kids recognize that the cold hard fact is they aren't always going to get what they want and they and you know failing in life is a really good lesson too failing to get what you want or what you need um, allows us to stop, reassess. Hmm, is there another way to go at this? Do I really want this? Is this something really worth fighting for and, and going to bat for? And if I really do want to do that, who are the adults around me who can help me do that? Or am I okay at this point in my life just to let let go of this at this moment, knowing that my plan for next semester or next year or something is um, is it's going to keep, continue to lead me in the direction I want to go in. Good point. Too many kids have told me that when they've self-advocated, um, they they either got more work rather than different work, or they were told that they shouldn't think they were so special. I mean, there are lots of ways that people who don't understand about giftedness try to shoot down kids who are who are really want more and want deeper and want richer, and and that's why I think it's so important that we who understand giftedness, parents and educators alike, that we help our kids understand what giftedness is and isn't. You know, it's not being about better than everybody else, but it's about being better at something than the, most people are. And, um, and I think 
we often don't have that conversation with kids because we haven't, even as a profession, we haven't really clearly defined what giftedness is. It's kind of a loosey-goosey thing. And so long as we let the stereotype of giftedness, this is the the really smart kid who does well in school, gets good grades and high test scores and is heading off to an Ivy League school. So long as we let that stereotype um, remain, our kids are going to think that that's all that giftedness is too. That's interesting. And I've, and I've actually seen selected giftedness too, where, you know, a certain student is really, really good at math, but they are not so good at English. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. It, it kind of comes and goes with, uh, you know, various subjects. It's not, it's not um, all across the board. I thought that was really interesting, too, when I saw that. Absolutely. And and that's, again, the stereotype is that a gifted person is a genius at everything. And yet we know that's not true. Even our state um, and, and federal definition of giftedness says um, with high um, intellectual cognitive ability or specific academic ability, which could just as like you're saying, maybe in math and not in in writing, maybe in um, science and and not in social sciences or something, and but also um, our our state and federal definitions talk about giftedness in leadership and in creativity and in the arts, and you can be an we know based on famous people you can be um, a remarkably gifted um, artist and not necessarily be good at math or, you know, the gifts. And that's why I think it's so important for us to, um, as we're identifying, and I like to call it recognizing giftedness in kids, to to broaden our concept from test scores and numerical numbers to what are the characteristics we should be looking for from little children on that um, help us understand that they are outside of the norm. I call gifted kids outliers in much the same way that children with um, learning disabilities are outliers. They're okay. they're outside of, you know, if we think of that typical grade or age level that we're aiming at in the classroom, we've got kids, the vast majority of the kids in the classroom are right there in the middle of that target. But we've got kids farther out in the target who either have abilities way beyond grade level or abilities way below grade level. And, you know, fortunately, we have a lot of help and resources for kids who are below grade level. Not so much so for the kids who are above and way above grade level in their abilities. And so um, I I think we have to let gifted kids understand that, that they are outliers. And we need to understand that and their parents need to understand that. And that as outliers, um, they still have rights to learn something new and to, to be challenged every day and to have the education that's right for them. Well, wow, that's that's really amazing, Deb. Uh, I like I really like to say thank you for joining the podcast. This was really awesome, really nice talking to you, and you have a lot of great insight, not just about you know self advocacy, but about gifted and talented, and all of your experiences. You you are a, definitely a wealth of information. I really really appreciate you coming on on the podcast. Well, Corey, how nice of you to say that. Thanks. You can tell. I'm still passionate about it after all these years. And you know why? Because every time I tell you a story or say something, a face of one of the kids I've worked with is in front of me. And that's really what we're all about in this, isn't it? Yeah. Those those kids and, and making, 
helping them make their life what they want it to be. So thank you for this chance to chat. It's been really fun. Thanks a lot, Deb. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us on the WATG podcast. Thanks. See you at the conference. Will do. All right. Thank you for listening to the WATG podcast today. If you'd like to know more about Corey, Deb, or WATG in general, head over to www.watg.org. If you haven't already, be sure to sign up for the WATG annual conference that will be taking place in October. There is currently an early bird registration special going on for it until September 3rd, and you definitely don't want to miss out on that. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great day.